Hi, and welcome to Problematic Women, a show that showcases strong conservative women, current events, and the hypocrisy of the feminist left. I'm Brie Payton, staff writer at The Federalist in front of The Daily Signal. And I'm Jenny Maltabano, a contributor with The Daily Signal. So we have a great show for you today, a lot to unpack. First of all, let's start off with the Supreme Court ruling. So earlier this week, the Supreme Court ruled partially in favor of the government in a case involving an undocumented teenage girl seeking an abortion while she was in federal custody. So last fall, this girl who's only known publicly as Jane Doe, um, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia, so D.C. Circuit Court, ruled that she was allowed to get an abortion while in federal custody. Obviously, this ruling would have had huge implications for the way that um, individuals who are detained are being treated uh, and the kind of care that they receive while they are in federal custody. Very big sweeping implications. So the day after the district court ruled that she could have an abortion while she was in federal custody, her attorneys who work for the ACLU took her to a clinic at four in the morning to get an abortion before the Department of Justice had time to file an appeal to that ruling. So the Department of Justice is saying that the girl and her attorneys misled the government about the timing of the abortion. And this is all this gets pretty complicated. So I'm not going to get into the TikTok on this, uh, but you can read more about it at thefederalist.com. One of our writers, Margot Cleveland, has done a great job parsing all of this down for you. You can read more about that there. But so because the girl had already had an abortion, she already aborted her child. The Supreme Court, by the time it got this case got to them, they tossed it out because they were like, okay, there's nothing for us to decide here. It's already done. Um, and there's kind of this technical rule that, you know, when they do toss out a case before the other side has time to mm -hmm. appeal, that undoes the lower court's ruling. So they overruled the lower court. It's gotten kicked back to them. We're going to see how this all plays out. It's likely that, you know, this is going to continue to play out in that lower court. So we're going to see. What happens and keep our eyes on that. Definitely a case to keep our eyes on for sure. And in really sad news, designer Kate Spade committed suicide earlier this week, and it's prompted a pretty big dialogue about depression and mental illness. And a lot of people have pointed out just because someone is super successful and wealthy and looks, you know, outwardly happy and bubbly doesn't always mean that everything's, you know, roses on the inside. And it's good to be aware that people could be struggling. And so a lot of people, especially on Twitter, have been weighing in about their first Kate Spade bags and Chelsea Clinton, Ivanka Trump in. You know, I can remember as a kid going through my mom's closet and falling in love with a bag and then her giving it to me. So I don't know. I've heard people kind of across the aisle talking about it. It's definitely sparked a pretty big conversation. Did you see the statement from her husband that he released to the New York Times? I was looking at it this morning. It was very interesting. Yeah. So he released a statement, um, which you can read over at the New York Times in full, um, but basically kind of calling out the way that a lot of members in the media have been covering mm -hmm. Uh, her suicide in this very, very tragic event that's unfolded. Um, you know, a lot of speculation about a note that was supposedly left behind. He says that he hasn't seen any note like that. Meanwhile, all these other outlets have been running stories about what the note supposedly says, all these other things. I think sensationalizing a lot of the details surrounding her case um, and surrounding her death and, you know, fixating on the little details of it which a lot of critics are saying could inspire copycats uh, or influence individuals who are fragile in some way. Um, you know, definitely the National Suicide Hotline is a resource mm -hmm. that we should always be pointing people to. You know, if you or anyone else that you know is 
has ever struggled with some sort of a thought like that or is currently struggling with that, that's a great resource um, to look out to. If you personally have a friend who you think is maybe a little bit down, it's also a good time to reach out to them and just talk and let them know that you're there for them. Yeah, and it's important to remember she left behind a young daughter. So this leaves devastating ramifications. So be thinking of her. Absolutely. She's in our thoughts and prayers. So the Miss, moving along, the Miss America organization announced earlier this week that it was nixing the bikini and evening gown portions of the competition in an effort to make it more inclusive. Gretchen Carlson, who is the first Miss America to sit on the organization's board, talked about those changes and those decisions on Good Morning America. Watch. We are no longer a pageant. We are a competition. We will no longer judge our candidates on their outward physical appearance. That's huge. That's huge. And that means that we will no longer have a swimsuit competition. And that is official as of September 9th when we have our competition in Atlantic City. We'll also be revamping our evening gown um, competition phase as well. And so we're no longer judging women when they come out in their chosen attire, their evening wear. Whatever they choose to do, it's going to be what comes out of their mouth Mm. that we're interested in when they talk about their social impact initiatives. Women of all shapes and sizes. So reactions to this announcement were a bit mixed. Uh, including from the participants Mm -hmm. themselves. I wrote a piece over at The Federalist, which you can read, um, just kind of culling some reactions from different women who have competed in the competition. Surprisingly, a lot of women who have competed or are currently competing were sad to see the bikini portion of the competition go because for them it was like a personal fitness goal. Right. You know, like, Mm -hmm. oh, now, you know, this is going to force me to work hard, to stay in shape, to exercise, to eat better. And now I don't get the reward for the hard work of getting to, you know, be recognized for being like physically fit. So, Jenny, what do you think about all of this? Do you think that it's a step in the right direction or do you think that it's a bad move? You know, I think the people who are best positioned to weigh on, in on this are the contestants themselves. And you've already touched on this. I thought it was interesting that most of the people who Gretchen Carlson appointed to the board or had working with her on this are former winners themselves or contestants so clearly they're going to have strong opinions and they felt like this was a good idea but if current contestants are a little miffed because it's a way for them to show their hard work they see that as a competition they work hard for it they get to show their results then I think that's something to look at as well I, I think it's tricky but I do think it's interesting to hear that some contestants are saying you know wait a second we work really hard for that yeah and one of my um So one of my roommates actually is competing in Miss DC, which, all right, the Miss America tier structure of how you compete is very complicated, as I've learned. But apparently, anyway, so she's competing in Miss DC. She personally was sad to see the bikini portion go. But she says, at the same time, I do see how, you know, after all, this is a scholarship organization. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to be providing educational resources to women who can't afford an education on their own. That's supposed to be what this is. But, you know, we're requiring that they hire a personal trainer. We're requiring that they get spray tans in order to compete with this. That they get a custom bikini, that they get custom, like, shoes, to high heels to match with the bikini, that they get this uh, huge elaborate evening gown. So she says in a lot of ways, different, those aspects of the campaign made it feel that you could spend your way to winning. Mm -hmm. And she pointed out, which I didn't know this, but for the past 10 years, not a single, this is what she says, 
as not a single Miss America, Miss Maryland, I'm sorry, has used her scholarship money. So she's like, listen, there's all these girls who are winning this competition who don't need the scholarship. I, I mean, that's an interesting point. I don't think it's ever a bad idea to put more of an emphasis on scholarships. And, you know, I was thinking to myself, well, what about ratings? Because I think that's a natural yeah you know, train of thought. And it's interesting because Gretchen Carlson said in her yes. interview that actually the ratings for that portion aren't super high. From what they can tell, people really are interested in kind of the Q&A back and forth. So if that's what they're seeing and this is the way they feel, then maybe this will be a good move. I don't think we'll know much until the yeah, we'll know. Until it comes we'll out. Know. I mean, I personally, I don't really watch the bikini part of it. That's like boring to me, you know? I'm kind of like, all right, whatever, I get it. You know, they all look the same. Um, but I'm going to miss the evening gown portion of the competition. That's the most fun. So fun to watch. You want to see those gowns. You want to see them. At least I do. I'm a little sad about that. Me too. We'll have to just wait and see. Speaking of me too. Yeah. Speaking of me too, <laughs> great transition. We are going to talk about Bill Clinton. So there's an interview that aired on Monday and he admitted that he's never apologized to Monica Lewinsky personally. Um, which kind of shocked a lot of people. And Bill Clinton got very heated because he kept getting pressed on this. And then he accused the reporter of being biased and unfairly attacking him. But it also seems kind of odd that he wouldn't expect that, especially in this Me Too era that we're living in, that he wouldn't get this kind of pushback when he puts himself out there. And so I want to ask you, Brie, I mean, do you think that it really matters if he has personally apologized or not to Monica? So I, I think, all right. No, but here's what I think he could have said instead. I think he could have said, I've not made an effort to reach out to her. I wanted to respect like her privacy mm -hmm. in this matter. Did, you know, I'm, everything thus far has been traumatizing for her. I didn't want to make that worse by like trying to reach out and have a conversation. You know, I've apologized publicly and I thought I'd leave mm -hmm. it at that. He could have said that and that would have been, I would have been totally fine with that answer. I don't think it, you know, personally matters that much if he, goes after her and finds her and apologizes yeah. to her face. But the way that he, his attitude towards the reporter in this segment, how he got really feisty and was like, I can't even believe that you're asking me this. My, my, where is this coming from? Oh, and then he proceeded. The part that bothered me the most was when he was like, you have your facts totally twisted and then proceeded to paint himself as a champion of women because he's hired women before and had them as his employees. I'm yeah. like, we know what happens to your female employees. A lot of women, well, I shouldn't say a lot, more than one woman has accused you of rape and you have slept with one of your interns in the past. So I don't know that that's really making that great of a case for yourself that you're like this great champion for women no, because it, you employ them and then sleep with them. It made a terrible case. It made him look really bad and really arrogant. And had he just come out, like you said, and said, I want to respect her privacy because she's still facing blowback. Like I don't know if you saw yeah. a couple weeks ago, um, she accepted an invitation to an event, but then they withdrew the invitation after Bill Clinton accepted. I mean, this is years after everything happened. Um, I actually saw Bill Clinton speak yesterday. I was at Arlington Cemetery for the RFK 50th anniversary of his assassination. And, you know, Bill Clinton's speech started off great. And he kept saying things about how, you know, if Bobby were here today, he would tell all of us, you know, we should be doing better. And I thought, well, yes, I think you would be included in that, too. It, it was, you know, a little hypocritical. I think that it's good that he has admitted this week that he handled that interview very poorly, which he did. Um, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. And with that, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back.
And we're back with our next segment. This is what feminism looks like, where we point out positive examples of feminism and women doing awesome things. So last week on the show, I wasn't here, but you and Kelsey discussed Alice Marie uh, Johnson, who has, was currently uh, serving a life sentence for a nonviolent drug offense. So this week, Kim Kardashian made a personal appeal and a visit to the White House to discuss this woman's fate with President Trump, Ivanka Trump, and Jared Kushner. So Johnson is a great-grandmother serving... Oh, I already talked about that? Okay. So she talked about him, and Donald Trump announced that, you know, he would be granting mm -hmm. her clemency, that he would be condensing her sentence, and she was actually already released yesterday. Some of the footage is very touching of her very. being reunited with her family members. Um, so I'd encourage you to go over... And watch some of that. So Kim tweeted about that and she said, the phone call I just had with Alice will forever be one of my best memories. Telling her for the first time that she, you know, she was being released and hearing her <laughs> screams while crying together is a moment I will never forget. And a lot of people have said like, this is a great start. You know, a celebrity got this on the president's radar. Clearly it worked. Now to kind of follow through more, he should look at kind of, you know, everyday people and, and follow up on this and not let this be the end. So a lot of people last night on the different talk shows were kind of slamming what happened, slamming the fact that, you know, it took a celebrity for this to happen. And I definitely agree. Right. I think we need I think we need to have a conversation about mandatory minimums. I think we do need to have a conversation about a lot of these things that unfairly end up penalizing a lot of people. Um, but I think that at the end of the day, she did something good here and Donald Trump did something good here. And I think that, you know, we should be applauding that and say and encouraging people to go further. I think kind of demonizing it or saying like, oh, my gosh, the fact that Kim, you know, not everyone has access to the White House, Kim, that kind of an mm -hmm. attitude, I think is counterproductive. And I think we need to tone it down personally. I agree with you completely. All right, so who do you think should be next? There's been a lot of kind of rumors going around about who he might pardon. Does anybody come to mind? Uh, Martha Stewart is at the top of my list, personally, and also Mary Catherine Hamm, one of my colleagues over at The Federalist. She wrote a piece explaining why she should be pardoned and why her conviction was kind of, I'm going to say dumb, but that's obviously not the word that she used in her piece because it's, written very eloquently. You can read more about that and about why um, she was over sentenced, why she got the book thrown at her during a time where there were a lot of political and other motivations mm -hmm. that pushed her in the direction, in this direction. Yes, yeah, so you should definitely check out that piece. All right, we'll be right back when we're going to crown our problematic woman of the week. All right, it's time to unveil our problematic woman of the week, Melania Trump. The media has had an absolute <laughs> field day fiasco circus with where she's been. I mean, I don't know about you. They said that this kidney surgery was relatively minor, but I feel like anytime you do have a surgery, like it's a major ordeal that you're putting your body through. So who should be surprised that she took, you know, a fair amount of time away from the spotlight? And I get that people are curious. I mean, she is a public figure. She did, you know, go away, but we know why. But you've CNN creating graphics to, you know, with a calendar to tick off the days that she's been gone. You know, people saying, oh, she's hiding in New York. She's leaving him. This completely escalated. Yeah, to a level that was totally out of control. Also, like, why can't the first lady just do her own thing? Why mm -hmm. is it 
that, oh, she has to be in the public eye all the time. She has to be doing all these things. The office of the first lady is like an unofficial duty. You know, it's not like something that you get elected to do where it's like, oh, we voted Melania in. Now we expect results. Mm -hmm. Like she just happened to be there. And I think it's very clear that she's a very private person and she doesn't relish a spotlight. Um, Let her live. Let her, you know, be a little bit secluded. Who cares if she takes three weeks off from doing public appearances because she doesn't want to? Yeah. Leave it alone. Let her live. Um, yeah, so I think just a lot of the breathless, shall I say, media coverage that we have been seeing really has reached a fever pitch. Um, my favorite part was when Donald Trump yesterday went on a tweet storm about all of this, and then CNN's Brian Stelter was like, oh, it's so sad to see the president conflating random internet trolls with member of the real news. That was like, come on, bro, you personally did this yourself on your show, in your email newsletter, in a bunch of tweets. There were tweets floating around from a lot of the who, from individuals that work for credible news outlets like Rolling Stone, mm-hmm. like The Atlantic, um, who were tweeting things like, oh, maybe a Melania got punched in the face. Maybe the Secret Service covered it up. All of these crazy, terrible things. So, you know, I think let's cool it down and take responsibility for what you did. I agree completely. You know, she appeared yesterday at that FEMA event. It was her first public appearance. But like you pointed out, some reporters still weren't satisfied because she didn't speak. Right. So will they ever be happy? I don't know. And then when she appeared at the event honoring Gold Star families Mm -hmm. on Monday, it was not open to the media. It was just a private event. Someone from the Daily Caller happened to be there because her father um, you know, received a gold star because he died in service. So she was there and was able to capture some footage of Melania. And people were like, oh, is this real? Was this doctored? Or what, body doubles, I've heard. Oh, yeah. Com- oh, The Root actually published this crazy article being like, we saw, in scare quotes, Melania at the White House. But was it really her? Was it a body double? I swear, you can read this over at The Root. Well, I thought that Tucker Carlson had a really great monologue on Melania um, earlier this week, and so we want you all to take a listen to this. Imagine hating Melania Trump. Whatever else she is, Melania Trump is not an overbearing public figure. She's not lecturing you about your weight or trying to control your personal life. She doesn't weigh in on, I don't know, tax rates or global warming. It's unlikely she will run for Senate from New York when this is all over. Nobody thinks she's one of her husband's key political advisors. You may never even have heard Melania Trump's voice Many people haven't. She doesn't talk much in public. Melania Trump has done absolutely nothing wrong to you or anyone you know or anyone you will ever meet. She married Donald Trump. That is her only sin in the eyes of the press corps. So that is a great note to end it on. Hopefully after this week, the coverage can die down and she can do her thing and we can move on to real problems. Thank you all for being with us. That wraps up our show for this week. Thanks so much for tuning in. And as always, if you know a problematic woman, please let us know. You can follow all of my work over at thefederalist.com. And you can follow me at on Twitter at Brie underscore Payton. And you can follow my work at The Daily Signal or on Twitter at Jenny Maltabano. This podcast is a collaboration of The Daily Signal and The Federalist. It's produced by Lauren Evans of The Daily Signal. If you like this podcast, please support us by rating and subscribing on iTunes. It's not that hard. It takes 
two seconds of your time, and it really helps us out. You can also do this on SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate you sharing Problematic Women with your friends and for supporting strong conservative women who are standing up for America's culture. 